Kylie Jenner labelled a climate criminal, Emrata's cheating rumours, and why Namcore is not an aesthetic. We're Jasmine and Maggie, and you're listening to Culture Club, our weekly chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people are the traditional custodians of this land we are on today. We would like to pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We'd also like to celebrate the rich history of First Nations culture and storytelling that we are continually learning from. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. I feel like after a couple of years of, you know, being stuck in Melbourne and whatnot, both you and I have been on quite a few flights this year. Is that right? Like like half Sydney ciders in a way. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like last week around Sydney, Tuesday I'm going to Queensland. A few weeks after that I'm actually going overseas, which is insane. Oh First time God. in three years. So, yeah, that's like been weighing quite heavily on my mind, especially going overseas. I'm like, oh, God, like it's so bad for the environment. But this week, I felt kind of more, not even better about it, but just more like angry at myself for feeling that guilt. Mm. Okay, well, this is always a push and pull, right? It's like individual responsibility mm. or collective action. It's a bit of everything. And it's a weird thing because I think we sh- we are and we should be allowed to be happy about travel, right? Oh, my God, why mm. did I feel like nervous saying that? But it's obviously, it's like a an obvious moment um but yeah there can be some guilt attached to it when we're thinking about like co2 emissions and stuff but you are right i feel like our kind of personal travel activity has been put kind of in place um and in perspective this week because of ms kylie jenner yes so kylie jenner has made headlines around the world this week after taking a 17 minute flight on her private jet It all started when Kylie posted a picture of her and partner Travis Scott embracing in front of two jets. And the caption reads, you want to take mine or yours? Iconic rich person Instagram post. Honestly, when I saw that, I wasn't even overly surprised. But yes, it did incite some fury. Me too. And Kylie actually ended up um, turning off comments because of the hate that she was receiving. Because according to an automated Twitter account that tracks celebrity flights, Kylie's 17-minute flight took her from Van Van Nui in Los Angeles to the nearby town of Camarillo. And she'd earlier taken a 27-minute trip in her jet, a $72 million jet, also to Van Nui from Thermal. California. So this 17-minute flight that she just went on, um, it's actually estimated that the flight would have created one ton of CO2 emissions. Okay, to put this in perspective, because um, I saw this number floating around and I was like, I don't know how much that is. This is about one quarter of the total annual carbon footprint of an average person. So this is essentially how much carbon footprint, hang on, bear with me, everybody, um, that I would create in three months, three Mm. months in 17 minutes. Oh my God, it is a math and science class today. We are STEM girlies. Going from astrology, now we're doing science. Okay. So the story gets worse when you realize that Kylie's trip would have only taken 40 minutes by car. That's literally like my house to your house. Yeah, 100%. Imagine. No, but imagine if I was like, Maggie, I want to come over and see you today. 
We're in the same city or like close by 40 minutes, but I'm going to get on a private jet to cut that travel time in half. That is like psychotic behavior. Sorry. Like how are you that far removed from reality that that is like a normal thought in your head? Like sorry, I'm so angry about it. No, but fair enough. Like 40 minutes, we are on the tarmac for 40 minutes. We are like in the security lines for 40 minutes. Like us normies just have to put up with this. But mm-hmm. I guess when you're rich and time is money and you've got unlimited money, like why not save, excuse me, let me do the maths, something like 28 minutes or whatever it is. <laughs> it's like the old 24 hours in a day from Beyonce quote. Like, of course, everyone doesn't have the same time. But obviously this got people quite angry. Lots of people on Twitter were going off. One person wrote, Europe is on fire. Meanwhile, Kylie Jenner is taking 15-minute trips in her private jet. Another one said, I could recycle everything, buy all my clothes secondhand, compost, and grow my own food for the rest of my life, and it wouldn't even begin to offset the footprint from one of her flights. That's an exaggeration. Like, one <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say. But <laughs> um, you get where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. completely um there's been so many memes about you know us having to use paper straws while they you know rich people get to just fly off on their private jets um and it's interesting that this has been such a massive topic mm. this week um i've seen it along twitter especially um because you know obviously kylie jenner is not the only celebrity who has a private jet and uses it so just recently, Drake flew from Hamilton in Ontario to Toronto, which took just 18 minutes and caused five tons of CO2 emissions. Mark Wahlberg flew from Las Vegas to California in 40 minutes and emitted four tons of CO2, which again is what one person's average emissions is across the globe. It's so sickening. So... That makes sense, right? Like one ton is one quarter. Four tons is equals, you know, what everyone would put out on average. Oh, yes. On a year, in a year. In a year. I just don't understand how they can like justify that. I just, I guess they just like, they don't care. Like they must not think about it. They must just be like, oh, I have access to a private jet. I'm just going to use it without actually knowing like the science behind it or something. I don't know. But anyway, Leonardo DiCaprio also came under fire back in 2016. So this conversation has been kind of happening for a while for flying on a private jet to receive an environmental award. That's hilarious. I mean, like comedy is literally writing itself here. And then he was in Don't Look Up. Like, So like I said before, it does make me annoyed for feeling guilty on the weekend when it was raining in Melbourne, freezing cold, and I had to wash two bed sheets and I had to use a tumble dryer to dry them so I could sleep on them that night. And I was putting them in a tumble dryer and I was like, God, tumble dryers are so bad for the environment. I'm using so much energy right now. Like I've got to use the heater tonight because it's so cold. And like those sorts of like, oh, God, like I'm contributing to climate change. And then you have people like like celebrities who are doing this. It's just it's very it's very helpless feeling, I think. For me, though, I have to say that I do get tired when we do – point fingers at celebrities sometimes because in the back of my head the whole time right when I'm seeing these memes and articles I'm like oh but it's like corporations are still you know the mass contributors to this Mm. and almost like again pinning it to one person is an extension of that like personal responsibility personal onus to climate change so it's a tough one because I think there's different layers to that right you're so Mm. right even if we're looking at individuals when we're trying to do stuff and then you see other people doing nothing or making things 
worth you feel crap but then on the layer on top of that I'm just like well behind them we've got like the big corporations that are just like laughing <laughs> laughing True. at us mere mortals like the owners of the jets or the owners of the fuel companies that are flying the jets yeah I was going to ask you like do we think that Kylie in particular right now is being used as a target for all of our helplessness around climate change like because she is high profile and she has a face and a name and we can comment on her Instagram she's the one who's been called a climate criminal when it is corporations yeah I think it's like entertaining for people to also you know get annoyed and get riled up at celebrities like that's more fun then lol sorry (laughs) political episode when you know labor's opening new gas and coal mines but that's not that fun to chat about on air it's just sad true yeah so some celebrities do have a conscience it seems back in 2019 bella hadid took to instagram to share that she'll be offsetting her carbon emissions by planting trees the model said donating 600 trees to be planted, 20 for each flight I took these past three months and probably will continue for the rest of the year. Bella continues, it makes me sad how much my job affects my carbon footprint and how brutally climate change is obviously affecting the world. So how do you feel about models like Bella or celebrities like Bella who are at least attempting to offset their emissions? Like it's kind of it's really complicated right because on one hand you're like oh good for you like I haven't planted 600 trees this year like you know you're doing something but on the other hand she's still like a wealthy celebrity who is taking all these flights most likely in private jets yeah I'm always a bit skeptical when celebs sometimes speak up about things like this especially when it's um I guess the result is just like trees being planted slash like donating to charities where trees are being planted like that is not going to solve the crisis and nor am I putting the climate crisis on the shoulders of a of Bella (laughs) sorry Mm. Bella um but I'm actually glad that she did say something I think especially that line she said it makes me sad how much my job affects my carbon footprint like that felt really real and I'm like Mm. relatable right um so that's nice and I think that gets people to reflect perhaps on their own job or their own footprint I think a lot of these celebrities, like, why don't they just fly first class? Like, that's still very private, right? Yeah, I'll take that. And you still get, like, this amazing experience. You get to lie down. You could have your own little cabin or something for privacy and you have your security guard next to you. Um, because according to The Guardian, private jets are responsible for around 4% of all aviation emissions. The Guardian also reported that private aircraft still emit more than 33 million tonnes of greenhouse gases, which is more than the country of Denmark. And because they carry so few people, they are 5 to 14 times more polluting than commercial planes per passenger and 50 times more polluting than trains. So that also makes me feel better, like, when yeah. I'm crammed in economy like a bloody cow <laughs> and cattle, um, you know, going over to the UK, that it's like, me and all these hundreds of people on this plane are like doing so much less damage than like the Kardashian Jenner family of like five of them, whatever, going, you know, across the country. Yeah, I like how that puts it in perspective as well. Um, yeah, look at us science lessening up culture club. I have actually learned so much in this segment. <laughs> Just recently, two of Gen Z's internet darlings, Addison Ray and Emma Chamberlain, have been in quirky high editorial photo shoots. And we want to talk about it. 
because I think it's really interesting. <laughs> so these two photo shoots that have really just come out in about the last week are markedly different to their previous, you know, kind of youthful influencer image and vibe and shoots they've been a part of. Um, okay, so Jazz, you have seen these photos. or What do you think of them? I think they are very, very cool. <laughs> Sounds so lame. Wait, cool. it's too cool for us though, right? Very cool, Sweeney. I'm so proud of you. They feel very editorial, very like paper magazine, but like a bit more grungy. Um, and I think it's definitely signaling new directions for both of them, particularly Addison Ray, because you know, she kind of went from like Southern Belle TikToker to Cali TikToker to Netflix darling rom-com comedy gal and now it seems like she's trying to be more high fashion which is fascinating and I I don't mind Addison I think she seems like a sweet girl um yeah no no complaints (laughs) yeah no great way of putting the photos I feel like that's how I feel about them too we'll quickly try to describe them but we will post them to our Instagram So for Emma, we saw her with long peroxide blonde hair um, and she's kind of in an office setting, an at-home gym, in a bedroom. Uh, They're shot on flash. It kind of gives like that old digital flash family camera that you had at home vibes. And they're a bit eerie, bit outer-worldly, interesting. As you can tell, it's hard to describe these images, so definitely look at them yourselves. But for Addison, she's got long um, black extensions in. She's got bleached brows, as does Emma, actually. Um, Addison's wearing this very Y2K fit of, like, headbands, wraparound sunnies, and this, I don't know, little matching skirt jacket number. Um, What's really cool about both of these shoots, I think, is that both of them were styled by Melbourne-born artist Gadir Rajab. Both aren't actually tied to any projects or publications, which usually would be the case when you see those like high editorial shoots. Um, it seems like it's purely for brand image and experimentation, which is lovely to like, I don't know, it's just nice to see people be creative, I guess. And I think, I mean, of course, on Instagram, most people following Addison and Emma are f- fans of theirs. So the reception's been really positive, but I just think it's so interesting to compare these photos to just a few years ago, those iconic like Coachella influencer shoots that like, especially Emma was a part of, you know, it's very Visco cam, high saturation really stylized and like Pinterest girly I guess Mm -hmm. this is such such an exit from that and they're really I think trying to stray away from um, that brand image you know Emma herself you know she deletes her old YouTube video she archives her Instagram photos so there's really like you know she's really I think trying to take control of her image and Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting to see the projects that she's really focusing on at the moment such as her podcast and her coffee brand oh my god I could talk about her all day this is so funny um but yeah I just wanted to kind of see like is this the new direction that's for influencers um to be taken seriously as artists because yeah I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more influencers do more projects like this yeah I agree because even looking at Addison Rae's um Instagram just then like it's still quite um youthful colorful um she's just done like a a collaboration with a Barbie doll company and then you look at these and it's very like paparazzi-esque 
Britney Spears, like Lindsay Lohan era of those paparazzi shoots shot on like a little flip phone. So, yeah, I'll be interested to see where both of them go. I think Emma Chamberlain to me is already very high fashion, very stylish. She's not an influencer. To me, she's like more than an influencer, if that makes sense. like it girl. She's an it girl. (laughs) Yeah, so I think you're right. And I would love to hear what um, Culture Club listeners actually think about these shots because I'm not going to lie, especially Addison's photos are like, they look like they were shot on like a flip phone, like your mum took them at a weird angle. Yeah. But that is the vibe. So I do want everyone to hop down on the Instagram and leave us a thought or a comment. Supermodel and new mum Emily Ratajkowski is reportedly filing for divorce from her film producer husband, Sebastian Bear McLeod. An alleged source close to her told Page Six that, yeah, he cheated. He's a serial cheater. It's gross. He's a dog. Which very candid for these <laughs> alleged source, right? They're usually pretty um, pretty calm and civil. Uh, but, yeah, there's been rumours for a couple weeks now. Um, that kind of started when M was spotted without her wedding ring. And then more recently, on um, the 18th of July, another source told People, quote, they split recently. It was M's decision. She is doing okay. She is strong and focused on her son. She loves being a mum. So we need to go back a little bit in time. If you're unaware, the pair announced their relationship in February 2018, and two weeks later, they got married. Then in March 2021, the pair welcomed their first son, Sylvester. So we don't really talk about cheating rumors, I feel like, that much on Culture Club. They kind of just come and go. But I think what's um, different about this one was the commentary around it was pretty interesting. There was this TikTok video by user Victoria.Alario, which framed these celeb cheating stories in a new light. So the caption to their video read, I'll never understand the people caring more about Emily Rada getting cheated on than themselves getting cheated on. So in the video, she talks about the comments that are thrown around like, what hope do we have if M Rada is cheated on? Or why would anyone ever cheat on Beyonce? She asks why we don't carry this energy for ourselves or for our own friends where we're almost like more accepting of the infidelity. Yeah, I thought this conversation was so interesting and really revealed a lot of kind of feminist theory almost or like feminist thinking of like why do we find it so shocking when men cheat on beautiful women? Like what's the difference, you know? Yeah, a lot of the comments were kind of reflecting on that as well. You know, one read, just because you're conventionally attractive and famous doesn't mean you're excluded from being cheated on. Someone else actually argued, quote, it's not about them being celebrities. It's about them functioning at perceived optimum capacity. If said optimum isn't enough, then what is? Oh, God, that's such like a capitalist sentence, like (laughs) optimum capacity, like little robots. Oh my God, no, true. Actually, I actually like that in the sense of like, okay, they are performing at their peak. Like This is right. like the, oh my God, this is quite broy language, but like alpha, like, you know what I mean? Like they're top mm. of their game, yet they're still being treated on. But you're right, that is kind of weird wording. Writer Jesse Stevens wrote a piece for Mamma Mia, which read, this commentary betrays our most basic assumptions that when a man cheats on a woman, it is due to her own lack of desirability. When women are cheated on, we are programmed to search for fault within ourselves. A voice whispers in our ear, perhaps if we were just thinner or put in more effort or 
if we'd had more sex or if we'd been more attentive or if we just looked a little bit more like, say, Emily Ratajkowski, he wouldn't have strayed. The term strayed does a fantastic job of putting the onus on the woman in this scenario as though she wasn't working hard enough to keep his attention. <sighs> Love that. Shivers. <laughs> it just like shivers over the whole like straying rhetoric as well. Completely. And I think um, it really calls into question, I think, this Emrata thing of like, wow, we really do look at the person that's being cheated on and like ask why or put not necessarily blame on them, but you kind of try to um, understand the cheating by looking at the individuals in the relationship, but more so on the person that's being cheated on usually, Mm. I think. Um, So, yeah, I like the way that this is kind of questioned or made a lot of people question the way they look at cheating, um, even in their own circles of friends and whatnot. Yeah, because it's like, oh, if if she's being cheated on, what hope do I have? Which is just so like self-depreciative and like just an awful thing to say about yourself like no one should be cheated on but also beautiful women aren't immune to being cheated on so like I don't know yeah and it's just like is it even about the person that's being cheated on rather than it's just a cheater yeah you know like it's very almost victim blaming right yeah that's like we're talking about like oh what if M Rada has been cheated on what hope do I have but it's not even anything to do with Emrata. It's like to do with her husband or whoever the cheater is to, you know, have this affair. The internet loves to put labels on aesthetics. From calling everything an era to chucking core at the end of buzzwords, we love to categorize different subcultures and styles. But what happens when it becomes problematic? Over on social media, there's been a rise of Namcore. The hashtag on TikTok has over 659,000 views already. So just an explanation on what Gormcore is supposed to represent. It's a distinct type of Melbourne fashion. You know the one, it's like edgy, cool, north side. As fashion journal writer Hazel Lee describes it, quote, walking down Swanson Street, dressed in your best Gormcore drip, showing off your khaki parachute pants, walking past people in Brunswick slash Fitzroy, wearing the most outrageously ugly outfits and wearing salamence. So in recent weeks, people have been speaking out against this careless use of the phrase, including several First Nations people. But before we get into that conversation, we just want to give a brief explainer on the word NAM, and thanks to Clothing the Gaps for this information. While most people think that NAM is just used to refer to Melbourne, it's actually used by both Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung, and Bunurong language groups of the Kulin Nation. In Woiwurrung language, NAM is referred to, quote, the scrubland, which is known as the modern-day Melbourne CBD. And in Bunurong language, NAM is referred to as the bay, which is known as Port Phillip Bay. And we'll also play a snippet from Sienna Cotullo from Clothing the Gaps about this. I think it is great that people switch out their place names for traditional place names. It makes Aboriginal people feel seen and heard, and it is part of the truth-telling that needs to happen in this country. 
However, using Aboriginal language to fit a trending aesthetic dismisses 65,000 years of history and depth of Aboriginal languages, cultures and practices. So ditch Namcor, it is not an aesthetic and instead celebrate the true custodians of this country by raising awareness of our campaigns and causes and spend your time celebrating black business. It always was, it always will be Aboriginal land. If you'd like to listen to that full video, we'll have it linked in our show notes. And we also recommend you listening to our interview with Sienna, um, which is also linked in the show notes. So last month, a video by user at punisher.mp3 questioned this aesthetic saying, are we redefining NAM for a white aesthetic? Now, punisher.mp3, aka Lily, is non-Indigenous. And it was a really interesting video because I think it touched on what a lot of us were thinking about, perhaps talking about. Um, I know me and you actually had a discussion uh, about it, um, you know, privately after we saw this video because it did feel a bit icky. I personally felt when I was seeing mm-hmm. all these like Nam core memes and yeah. aesthetic videos. Yeah, and it being used as like almost a punchline, right? Like especially on Twitter, mm. I saw a lot of like non presenting baddie yas and like yes. uh, those like Instagram shit posting where there's just like they're really anonymous, like you don't know who is running them, but they get so many, um, so much interaction, but they get so much interaction because like they are so niche to like Melbourne or whatever it is. Um, so I was already seeing them being like, oh, this feels gross. But then there was a Lily's video but First Nations creator, model, and TikToker Tarek Junaid Ismat finally also said what many people are thinking, and that is that Namcore isn't a joke or an aesthetic. We'll play a snippet from their TikTok that has been viewed close to 100,000 times. We told you to use Nam and to start embracing um, our culture and learning that it's still here. You may think that it's like not that deep, but it kind of is. Nam is a place name. It's a place name. It's not like your little fashion moment kind of thing. Like it's not. We wanted to hear more from Tariq, so we got him to answer a few questions. Here they are in their own words. When did you first notice that Namcore was becoming an aesthetic? I first realised that Namcore was becoming like a little bit of a TikTok aesthetic not long after Melbourne Fashion started posting um, the videos of like people in the city wearing kind of baggy outfits with, you know, kind of ugly shoes, hoodies, those like crossbody bags or whatever, tie-dye bleach shirts (laughs) I think that's when I started noticing it um and I honestly didn't pay that much attention to it because I don't really live like in that kind of north area um and honestly my TikTok is usually just full of videos of kind of embarrassing like just Bella Hadid (laughs) because she's beautiful and yeah I kind of just didn't really pay attention to it at all because I was just like, this is just another little TikTok thingy, whatever, not my vibe. Um, 
a bit strange though. So I kind of just scrolled past it until I saw a video from another creator um, and she wasn't really sure how to talk about it because she's not Indigenous. Um, and I realised, oh, like, this is a thing. I, I didn't realise it was because I don't surround myself with those kinds of people. Um, and then when I saw what it was, that it was, I, you know, decided to make that video um, because I'm Indigenous and I have a lot of thoughts about it, so I'd like to speak about it. As a First Nations person, how does it make you feel to see that the term NAM is being co-opted, intentionally or otherwise? It hurts to see that something that belongs to us, which I, I mean, some people say, you know, oh, like, are we allowed to even use NAM at all? Um, because a lot of the time, you know, we'll say it's an Indigenous word. Yeah, obviously you can use it, but you need to remember that this isn't like, it's not a European word, it's not like Melbourne, it's not like named after some old coloniser that once lived here or lived in England and did some work in Australia, whatever. Like, you need to remember that it has meaning behind it. And at the end of the day, it's a place name. It's not an aesthetic. Um, and we gave you this word sort of so that you can always remember that we're still here and we're always going to be here. And as much as this government wants to destroy us and put us down, our culture will always be here. And this always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Um, so it hurts to see that people have taken this word and sort of twisted it into this little aesthetic, which completely is so far from any sort of Indigenous meaning. It's so far from it. Like, and it's a bit ridiculous, honestly. Um, it's quite silly seeing Namco everywhere. Like, it doesn't make sense. Because at the end of the day, when you see the Namco, you think, oh, that's like Melbourne stuff, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, exactly, exactly. You just proved my point. You don't actually know what Nam means because when you see it, you think this is Melbourne, but you call it Namco just because it sounds like you're trying to be woke. You're trying to sound educated. I don't have hate for these people. It's just disappointing that people don't take the time to educate themselves. They rely on people of colour, they rely on black, indigenous people of colour to constantly educate them because they either can't be bothered or they just don't see that it's a problem. And that in itself is a problem, that people aren't seeing that it's a problem. You see the world around you every day. You wake up, you go outside, you see the world, you see the horrible things, you see the good things, beautiful things, bad things. You see all of that. Why can't you see the stuff, the things that you're doing in your life that make negative impacts on us? It doesn't make sense. I'm not one of those people that despise someone for getting it wrong. I don't think we should do that because everyone makes mistakes. Everyone 
says the wrong things, I say the wrong things, um, and I obviously can't speak for other ethnicities and other races when it comes to people saying offensive things. I can only speak for myself and my experiences as an Indigenous and Pakistani person. Um, But this country just doesn't educate its people. There's no real sort of education system based around other cultures and other religions, ethnicities, races. This country doesn't really teach that. Even Indigenous culture, it's so shocking that my father, who grew up in Pakistan, knew more about Indigenous people from high school than they teach here. Like, it's ridiculous. Um, So I don't think that we should have hate for these people that aren't educated, just to remind them that don't rely on us to educate you once you've done something wrong. Just... There's no harm in just looking stuff up, just researching. Sure, it might be boring. Sure, at the end of the day, you might find nothing. Sure, you might find something wrong and make a mistake. But that's the whole process of educating yourself, is that you make mistakes and you learn from them and you don't do it again. And you try not to do it again. And I think that's what a lot of us want to put out there. There's no harm in educating yourself because you will make mistakes, but that's the whole part of the process. Do you think that this is virtue signaling? Do you think it's people being mindless about what they're saying? Or do you think it's people genuinely thinking they're trying to be inclusive by saying NAM or putting NAM in their bio, et cetera, et cetera? I do think there's, there is a difference um, between, you know, um, using NAM as a place name perhaps having it in your bio instead of Melbourne and using something mm. um, like Namcore, which is, you know, an aesthetic, a style, um, like you mentioned before, kind of like a punchline at times. I think I think it's virtue signaling because people, it seems, are trying to appear woke by just u- just using the language of it. And I think what's worse and what's making me feel the most icky, it's almost for personal gain, right? They're using core to be associated and closer to wokeness in a way to show that, oh, yes, you know, I'm knowledgeable about Indigenous culture and history, but I'm actually using it just for myself. You know, this is how I interpret it. Totally. And it doesn't in any way pay any respect to the thousands of years of history that's already been there. I also feel like by, you know, that beautiful line that Lily had, you know, are we redefining Nam for a white aesthetic? Is that not just recolonization? Like we are taking language and putting a white gaze mm. on top of it. Like, oh, that is that is painful. But I want to hear what you think. Yeah, I think I agree with all of that. And I just think it is definitely people getting caught up in the internet as well and like all of us crave to be in groups and to be seen and um we want to be part of something but when you actually don't think about like like words mean something I feel like I say that quite often in this podcast like your words have so much impact 
and kind of taking a word from a First Nations language and using it for your own gain, whether that's social clout, TikTok clout, um, getting views, or just like you said, being associated with wokeness or Indigenous culture, I think that is so damaging. And I was speaking to some people about this at um, a First Nations event yesterday, and it does feel like, especially with Tarek's TikTok, that it's and Sienna's, it's almost being like nipped in the bud kind of. Like this has kind of been emerging and First Nation creators have like not, they shouldn't have even had to in the first place. Like this should not have even been a thing. But it feels like they've kind of come out now and said like this is fuck, like what are you guys doing? Stop it. And our, our culture isn't an aesthetic. It's not a joke. It's like thousands of years worth of history and culture. Um, so I'm hoping that because of these conversations – that people are like, oh, shit, like check themselves and, you know, actually help Indigenous people, pay the rent, show support, show support for actual Namcore brands. So Tarek in the um, TikTok says, you know what actually is Namcore? It is brands like Nam-based black labels like Nagali, House of Dizzy, Roland Vision, and, of course, Clothing the Gaps. So, like, support those brands. Don't, like, dress up in your car keys. And, sorry, Tarek also notes, like, the Mr. Winston jumper. Like, you do the, you, do you, but don't pretend like that is not, like, that is a aesthetic. It's not. I'm having trouble verbalising this point as well. Um, but I feel like this also just shows that there is cultural capital and coolness that's afforded to people that, I guess, are seen as allies or you know on the outer I don't know how to describe Mm. this but like there's cultural capital afforded to people who are seen as allies to First Nations people and that safety is not actually afforded to actual First Nations people yes 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 yeah you summed up so well and I think yeah a lot of that came after the Black Lives Matter movement and Mm. just being seen like we have to do more than just putting Nam in our bio. Sorry. Like mm. it should be a daily practice of like, hey, what am I doing to decolonize my life or my city or even language like my, my city. It's not my city. You know what I mean? Mm, like things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, supporting indigenous brands, doing what you can to just uplift voices is so much more than getting together with your friends in front of the state library dressed in your arm core drip you know mm-hmm. so I want to say a big thank you to Tarek for taking the time to make the TikTok video in the first place because I think it was such an important conversation to have on that particular platform where Namcore is really like emerging um and for taking the time to answer our questions today definitely give them a follow at literally Kate Bush on Instagram and TikTok um they also have the best fashion content as a side it is time for recommendations jazz i'm really excited to hear what you've loved um reading listening to or watching this week so kind of a controversial recommendation today because this movie has been slated online but i have been reflecting on it the last day or two and i think i liked it it is persuasion which is a jane austen adaptation It is available on Netflix and is directed by Carrie Cracknell, who has a lot of um, 
experience in the theatre and it loosely follows the plot of Austen's original. So we've got Anne Elliot, who's played by Dakota Johnson. She is rich, pretty, charming, and was once in love with a poor young sailor, Frederick Wentworth. They are engaged. They were engaged to be married, but it's Anne's friends and relatives who then convince her that she shouldn't, you know, throw away herself at 19 on a man with no money, and so she breaks his heart. And then we fast forward to eight years later, She's dealing with the fact that, like, she never had this, like, her love of her life and she's now kind of resigned to, like, looking after her sister's children and she's considered a spinster and, like, a difficult woman, etc. Um, meanwhile, Wentworth has become, like, a Navy and he's rich and he ends up coming back to um, where they live and stuff ensues. I don't want to give too much away. But that is the basic plot of the film. Um, so I loved this film because if you don't compare it to Jane Austen it's actually such an easy watch like it's an hour and 50 minutes it's beautiful costumes beautiful um scenery there's a scene by the ocean she like swims in the ocean and it's just so stunning um set in Bath which is like beautiful Regency era stuff it's very Bridgerton you could tell they were trying to be Bridgerton one thing I didn't like about it is the way and Elliot slash Dakota Johnson breaks the fourth wall. So she's the narrator and she speaks to the camera quite often. And I just feel like that takes me out of it. I feel like I'm then watching a modern kind of show. That was a lot of the criticism as well was that um, it's like the flea bagification of Jane Austen, which is very funny. But so I kind of went in with an open mind and the next day I was like, you know what? I actually did enjoy that one hour, 50 minutes. It was just, yeah, an easy watch. And I loved this piece for Cosmopolitan, uh, which is titled The New Persuasion May Not Be for Jane Austen Purists, But It Is for Sad Girls by Leah Marilla Thomas. It reads, maybe the biggest critique of the movie is that Johnson as Anne doesn't look or talk like an Austen era heroine. Sure, Johnson's Anne looks a bit like a time traveller who has been resigned to her fate, but Kira Knightley's bangs were flopping around in the 2005 Pride and Prejudice too. This is a period piece for those of us who don't wait until Pumpkin Spice is on the menu to listen to folklore, an important demographic. It's for driving through the suburbs and crying. It's for those who are prone to self-sabotage and lie awake spiralling about all the different ways things could have gone with a crush, another important demographic. This is a period piece for people who heard the word chuggy and shuddered a little bit because they were like, that might be me. Books do not go to bed at night dreaming about becoming films when they grow up. They're already grown. If you're an Austin purist and can't get past all of this, then by all means, feel free to skip this one. Oh, that is such a great line. Books do not go to bed at night dreaming about becoming films when they grow up. They're already grown. Love it. Oh. And I thought, yeah, like such a... A good thing to remember, like Jane Austen is over 200 years old. Her work is over 200 years old. It's important for it to be like accessible to new audiences and people who don't want to read through like hundreds of pages of like old fashioned English. Um, but I do, I do understand like the flip side of it as well, because apparently the original is very like, I haven't seen it or read it. This is actually like my first interaction with persuasion. Um, it's like very romantic. I feel like the most romance was like quickly shoved into the end of the movie. But anyway, also there's a birdie song, like an original song made for the movie, and I sobbed. 
it's like the end of the movie (laughs) and it's just so beautiful so there were definitely positives and I feel like the internet can get on a bit of a momentum of a hate train sometimes and like there's like four bad reviews so then everyone's like oh god oh and like the social media machine continues so I feel kind of bad for this director so anyway if you're into like Bridgerton and like lighter not super heavy kind of like your Emma like the recent Emma adaption or Clueless etc watch this it's just like an easy romantic comedy if you don't think about it as a Jane Austen movie yeah lovely I'm glad that you enjoyed it and I feel like sometimes that's all you can really ask from a film Mm. like yeah I enjoyed seeing through that like that can be enough really so thank you Jazz. and what have you loved that you've read watched or listened to this week I feel like I have been a bit slow this week to consume much content, Um, but me and you joined a book club and we had our first book this week and it was The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. So I think many of our followers would have at least heard of this book, if not read it. It is this fun and enthralling uh, romance book. It's very hyped and very popular. It's also um, being adapted into a film, which we agree that we will think will be great. Like it's a great medium for Mm. it, even though it's a grown book on its own. (laughs) Um, So I went in knowing nothing about the plot and it is about, just very briefly, a fictional old Hollywood star called Evelyn Hugo, who at the age of 79 gives a final interview to an unknown journalist, Monique Grant. It kind of flip-flops from this modern-day interaction of this young journalist um, learning more and interviewing Evelyn as well as jumping back to Evelyn's um, long life where, as it says in the title, she's had seven husbands and a glittering film career. I found it quite salacious and a bit gripping. It's very much like book club fodder. Like this, you know that the mm. the, the mums will love this as well. Um, and I did too. I finished it quite easily in about four days. I am unsure about the forced racial representation in the book. Taylor Jenkins Reid is white, um, but Evelyn Hugo is Cuban and Monique Grant is a biracial black woman. Um, But that's for another day. I did want to add, though, I did see the new Minions movie this week, which is funny. Um, And they really randomly had great Asian representation and it was actually done well and just goes to show. (laughs) Let's look to Minions as a, you know, as a prime example. Um, That was half a joke, but no, they actually did that pretty well. So just wanted to add that. I love that we also got like a little Minions recommendation in there. Actually, I would not recommend it in the cinemas, but like it's still a cute watch, you know, (laughs) but yeah. Why wouldn't you recommend it in the cinema? I wouldn't like buy it, like spend that much money on it. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I also enjoyed this book. Um, I listened to the audiobook um, kind of controversially, but I found that just as enthralling. And you can so visualize it as a movie or series. Like the characters feel so real. And I actually last night watched um, like a little Audrey Hepburn Mm. documentary because it was all about like – this the glamour stars of like the 50s and i think that was sparked by evelyn hugo and just like wanting to see that like world from you know 60 70 years ago so there we go that's all we have time for today thank you so much for listening it's been super super fun um and we always appreciate your lovely words 
And thank you to everyone who shares the podcast on Instagram, tags us. We always appreciate it. And we will be in your ears next week. Bye-bye. Bye.